0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 627, for Monday, October 17th, 2016. Mm-hmm.
1: And welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found, and we answer your questions. We share your tips and we share your cool stuff found. In fact, cool stuff found will be next week. We'll do that segment then. We've got some tips today. The goal, of course, each and every time we get together is to learn at least four new things. Sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. And barebones software at barebones.com. We'll talk about both of those very, very shortly here. But now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton.
0: And here in swelteringly hot Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John
1: F. Ron. Well, it's not sweltering, but it's humid and, uh, and, and much, and it, we're having Indian summer as the term goes. Here. Ah, that's, that's what we got okay. here, in, uh, here in New England. But man, this weekend here in New England, gosh, it was gorgeous. Bright sunshine. I don't know how the leaves are for you, John, because you're further south than me, so they tend to turn a little bit later. But here, this was the weekend, man. It was just, in fact, the whole week, sun, bright colors. Oh, I mean, it's just like everywhere you look, it looks like a painting. It's awesome. Beautiful leaves on the trees. This is the time of year to get to New England, folks. Highly recommend it. And if you're gonna come come say hi. Yeah. Right. Do you have the leaves yet, John, or is it still too early for you?
0: Not where I am, because I'm very coastal, but um other parts of town, I, I've taken some pretty uh pretty mm. pictures of trees with the leaves changing good colors. Good. Good.
1: Cool. All right, let's uh we have a, a quick quick tip to talk about here. Dale says I inadvertently came across a feature in Safari today that I wasn't expecting. I thought that if a link opened in a new tab, I would have to close the tab by clicking on the little cross at the left or of the tab or using Command W, which of course you can. He says, Yesterday, I clicked on a link in Safari running El Capitan and a new tab opened, as happens sometimes. He says, When I had read the item, I swiped left with two fingers on my trackpad. I thought as I would swiping, this won't work. There's nothing in this tab to go back to. To my surprise, though, the tab closed and I was back on the original tab that the link came from. This only seems to work when a link automatically opens in a new tab. This feature may have been there for years, but I haven't come across it until now. Dale, thank you for sending that in. I had no idea that that would work and I tried it. And of course, in, in uh, Sierra, it works as well. Very, very handy. And uh, yeah, they open in new tabs when the the website says to open things in new windows, and in fact, that alone is a preference in Safari. If you go to Safari, preferences, tabs, uh, you can say open pages in tabs instead of windows automatically or always or never. And I've got mine set to automatically. It, this is an El Capitan machine that I'm on right now in, in case it's different in Sierra. But, uh, but yeah, that's where you can set that. So it's not popping new windows up. It's just opening. When, it, when a web page says to open in a new window, it just does a new tab, which of course is... Generally desired behavior
0: and you know there's something I just noticed and I verified this is not at all new, but I just noticed it the other day. yeah, and uh, I want to share because it's good to share. but um, I noticed in Safari that if you hover over a URL and then you hold down a modifier key, it'll tell you what doing that will do, and I just never noticed this before. Where does it tell you this? Uh, on the, the the bar on the bottom. Okay, so, the so you have bar, to. I think it's the status bar.
1: Yeah, you have to have it show you the status bar, which is in view, show, status bar. But yeah, I think that's right. So, for example,
0: I'm hovering over a link right now. And if I hold down the command key, it says, oh, well, that means open this link. If I click on the option key, it says, oh, download this link. And if I click on the control, it'll say, display a menu for. Yep. Does shift do something? And shift says, ah, add to reading list. I, I just never noticed. I just noticed this the other day when I held down one of the modifier keys. I, the I'm pretty sure that's been there
1: s- for a while. It's certainly there in, e, in El Capitan, but uh, yeah,
0: I, I verified cause I thought, is this new in Safari and Sierra or is it just, I never noticed it. And sure. it's just, I never noticed it before. Yeah. So yeah. another tip there, it kind of helps you understand what's going to happen. If you hit a modifier key, cool. So, uh, nice, uh, nice Safari feature.
1: I like that. It's good stuff, man. Cool. Um, All right. Getting into kind of out of the quick tips, but into the tips scenario or realm here, Dan, uh, there's been a lot of talk lately and I've certainly noticed it. It's been, it's been this way for a while that Dropbox does a couple of things. Number one, it looks at all your file activity. And if you wind up doing something on your Mac that is scanning files or, or modifying files out, side of your Dropbox folder, Dropbox will still peg the CPU, but, um, related to Dan's comment, Dropbox also sort of takes over your accessibility preferences and sets them without your desire, but you can undo it. Um, he says, uh, after recently reading about Dropbox secretly hacking OS 10, I removed Dropbox from the list of programs that have accessibility rights to my Mac. And that you would do by going into uh, system preferences and then into, uh, what is it? Security and privacy, is that where accessibility is? How come I can't find it, John? Oh, it's just accessibility. That's why I can't find it. And uh, and if you go in there, you can set which apps uh, have access. And of course, Dropbox will be one of them. Uh, if you run Dropbox, you can remove it from here the problem is when you start your Mac, it will ask you for those accessibility rights. You can check the box that says "Don't ask," but it still will ask you for your password each and every time. Um, so that's uh, so you can turn that off, but uh, but you still will get the the password. Now Brian Monroe in the chat room is saying that Dropbox needs those rights, and it's true they do. Uh, dropbox uses those to place a badge when certain files are opened uh word documents for example and so you have to decide whether or not you want uh you want that uh that option on but for people that don't want dropbox having sort of carte blanche on their system you can go ahead and turn it off inside accessibility now where did you, uh, i think it's in a slightly different place now where did you, uh,
0: where did you say again you thought this was
1: Uh, isn't it in system preferences, accessibility? I think this particular
0: setting is in a slightly different place. I believe it's in security and privacy, privacy, accessibility. Sorry, that's right. That's correct. Yes. Okay. And then it shows the apps that you have granted, uh, additional privileges to. Right. And I think normally, like I'm looking right now and I see default folder 10, Dropbox, Google software update, uh, yeah, all kinds Steam, of things. Steam, Text Expander, uh, and a few other things. And I think for the most part, it's not a bad thing to give the apps uh additional privileges.
1: But eh, no, it, you know. it's not a bad thing. I think people's complaints were that Dropbox was setting like Dropbox never asked me for this permission. Oh, right? right. Text expander did, keyboard maestro did for me, default folder did, Dropbox never did. And that that was people's complaint. That was the
0: fish shake that yeah. a lot of people had as of late. Is that they're kind of sneaking sneakily. Yeah.
1: Cause they feel like they need right. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it is as Kurt in the chat room says at Mac slash stream. Hello, everyone there. Uh, it is the old security versus convenience continuum and you need to pick your spot on it. So I leave it on. I don't have a problem with it, but, um, but you know, it's always good to know, John, you want to take us to Chris's tip.
0: Chris had a good tip here, uh, kind of following up on our chit-chat about, and let me uh, get it up here. <coughs> okay, so Chris says, where is it? Okay, thanks for playing my audio tip on Bonjour Sleep Proxy. Okay, you're welcome. And he said, this one is for me. Um, and it's an app called View EXIF for iOS. Um, and he reflects that on episode 623, I mentioned that I don't give the iOS camera act uh, iOS camera access to location data. Which, um, of course, you do in Location Preferences. You can you can select which applications can or cannot uh, uh, access your your location. Right. Uh, the end result of that is that if you take a picture on iOS and you have that disabled, it will not include the coordinates of where you took the photo, which for whatever reason, some people may not want that. And my workflow, I currently do not do that. Uh, So he says, to solve this problem, I use an iOS app called ViewEXIF view EXIF by Stephen Zhang. It lets you share a photo without the metadata using this app. John could allow camera access to location data and still preserve his privacy when sharing photos. The app works by adding an iOS photo extension. Select it, and when sharing a photo, it shows you the EXIF data, complete with a map showing the location data. This metadata screen has its own share button. Press it, and you are given the option to share the photo with or without EFX metadata. Huh, that's pretty cool. Sweet. And I think he says 99 cents. And it is. And yeah. I responded that I have a similar app, which I think does something also, uh post-processing Um. And I have one, and you know we'll link to both of these. I have one called EXIF Edit Free, free being the key word here versus the 99 cents because to me free is better, though it has limitations. But it does something similar in that you can load a photo, it'll then you know read your location, you can edit the photo and, and add this as well. My workflow is typically I will take the photos without uh, the location, Dave. And then if I do share them, my particular workflow is that I will then add the location via Instagram, which oh, is not yeah. EXIF data. This is, uh, you know, Instagram yeah, type of metadata, right. Own thing. And, and that's my workflow. And I told him that's my workflow. And yeah, he said, yeah, yours is kind of opposite of mine. Cool. So, um, a couple of ticks here, if you want to edit your, uh, the data after the fact on your, uh, iOS device.
1: Very cool. Uh, Wesson has a great tip. He, We were talking in show 626 about I was saying I would love to have on iOS a list of apps or some way to mark apps that I haven't opened in, say, 30 days or 60 days or even a year so that I knew what I could delete. And Wesson says, well, I don't have the answer for you on iOS. Clean My Mac 3 on macOS allows you to sort apps by last launch date. Within the uninstaller tab. It's one of the features he says that he uses most and finds most useful. And it's totally true. Um, uh, it's a great way to look and say, oh, yeah, I don't need this app anymore because I haven't launched it in over a year. Uh, very, very handy stuff. So, Clean My Mac 3, we will put a link in the show notes to that. Um, handy little piece of software. Also, in show 626, Josh writes, Uh, We were talking about surge protection for your coax. And he says, I use a combo surge protector and Mocha point of entry filter on my coaxial cable coming into my apartment. It keeps my Mocha network traffic from flowing upstream while hopefully keeping any dangerous surges from damaging my equipment coming in downstream. And if you use Mocha, I didn't even think about this, uh, but if you use Mocha, you definitely want a point of entry filter. I found my Mocha speeds, it didn't quite double, but it was a remarkable, maybe 30% increase in speeds when I put this filter in place. I don't know why putting a filter in place that keeps your Mocha from going upstream would help. But it was night and day. In fact, I put it in it and it didn't make sense to me that it would. So I took it out and I tested my speeds again and it would definitely is the filter. So uh, he found one that's a a filter that will do both Mocha filtering and surge protection on the downstream. So we'll put that in the uh, show notes. Very cool stuff. Moving on to whatever's next because I got to get the in front of me. Oh, yeah. One more. uh, One more from episode 626. Um, Listener George said in podcast 626, John gave a shake of the fist to error messages with just code numbers and two shakes for error message that error error messages that are basically unknown error. He says this reminds me of a story from my experience in about 1968. I was doing computer programming. (laughs) At a lab at the University of Michigan, uh, very, very pivotal uh, school and location for the Internet. Anybody on the Internet early, early on knew ab- all about you, Mitch's gopher archives. So I just wanted to give a little shout out there. Uh, George continues at a time there was a very popular magazine called Datamation. It, they decided to run a tongue in cheek series about the design of a hypothetical computer and operating system called Kluge. Spelled K-L-U-D-G-E. It appears that article was the origin of the word Kluge. And Wikipedia confirms this. It says in uh, uh, Jackson W. Granholm in the Oxford English Dictionary, second edition, 1989, the Kluge entry cites one source for the world's earliest recorded usage, definition and etymology, Jackson W. Grandholm's 1962, How to Design a Kluge article, which appeared in the American computer magazine DataMation. So uh, he says, although the Wikipedia reference is from 1962, I remember reading Datamation describing the Kluge in about 68. I have to assume that what I read at the time was a reprint. So uh, he says, anyway, the article it suggested uh, in the article, it suggested that a good error message would be unknown error from an unidentifiable location. I still remember laughing my head off about that phrase. So that's um, a little blast from the, the, the past. In a, in a very nice way. Thank you, George. Datamation. Oh my God. Did you ever read? I didn't, this is the first time I've ever heard of datamation. Um,
0: I don't think I got that. I did. remember creative computing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're dating ourselves with that. And Beagle Brothers. Wow. And, oh man. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Apple II. Right. And applied engineering. Oh man. It's just all coming back to me now. Yeah. Boy, did we have fun with our Apple IIs. The Apple IIs were fun. Right.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Without question. Yep. So, very cool. Uh, Thank you for that, George. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's see. Brian, uh, you want to take us to Brian, John?
0: I'm going to take us to Brian. I think I got this one right, Dave. I I would appreciate your suggestion if you have one beyond this, but I think I got it mostly right here. So, uh, Brian says... Hey guys, I have a quick question about the missing audio imports on all new Macs. I presently recorded a few shows from my Sirius Receiver, S-I-R-I-U-S. Okay. Sirius. Sirius. Satellite. Yeah, satellite. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, On my iMac, 27 inch mid 2011, using the audio import and audio hijack pro. This works great. I'm looking into getting a new iMac, but I cannot figure out how I can do this now that the audio import is gone. Any ideas? And yes, I have an idea talking about a blast from the past. So first off, Dave, I was like, so I'm not an iMac person though. Though my, uh, my parents have one. I set them up with one. They love it. Um, but I was like, wow, that's interesting. Uh, and so I looked, uh, using our, our pal Mac tracker, which, uh, I I believe uh, the app is the best way to kind of quickly determine the capabilities of uh, past and present, not yet future Macs. I'm I'm hoping they're going to be able to do that, (laughs) as do many of us, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, that would be really handy if you didn't have to like read rumor sites. You could just open up Mac Tracker and it would tell you what's coming. That'd be great. (laughs) Or, I mean, the other question is, where are the future Macs? Well, that too. Yeah. Maybe Mac Tracker can let us know where where the new Apple laptops are. Yeah, that'd be nice. But I verified that since 2012, Dave, they decided not to include an audio
0: import on the iMac. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? I mean, why would they do that? I don't know. To save, save money. Yeah, 50 cents on a
1: A to D input? Fortunately, Dave- Well, it could also be space. Well I mean wait that's, that's ridiculous. They've got a more, all the space they need on the back. No, it has nothing to do with space. I,
0: I, w- I would say in the case of the uh, you know the latest iPhone, I could understand the argument is that sure. hey, let's uh, let's use that space for that jack for battery instead, which uh, and so far, I'm very happy with my seven, and they just came out with 10.0 dot three, I think. so yep. uh, go for the update, everybody. It's got good stuff, well, some good stuff for some of us. But anyways, Dave, there is an option, and it's a blast from the past. And I think probably the least expensive option to add this, so no, there is not an analog audio import on the on the latest iMAX. What do you do? What do you do? I think what you do, Dave, is you go to Griffin Technology and you buy this thing called an imic. what is an imic? Well, I'll tell you what an imic is. The imic is basically an analog audio in to USB converter. yeah. I actually have one sitting around somewhere. I'm not quite sure why I bought it. I think I may have bought it because the Mac or, or other computer I was using at the time also had this little problem. It didn't have an audio in. And so this device has two two plugs. One is a USB plug and the other is an uh, audio in. It also has audio out. I'm not sure why you'd really need that. Uh, and then a switch for either line level or mic level sure. on the input because there are different... Uh, my understanding, and you're the audio guy, but my understanding is that line level and mic level, the, the it's the same plug, but it's different voltage ranges. About
1: 40 dB difference, I think, is usually what what kind of gain you would get by putting um, the switch to mic level. So, yeah, there's yeah there's there's line level and low level, and and so that's what we're talking about here is the differences there. But uh,
0: yeah, so so to answer a couple and of your questions, go ahead. And it's 30, and and it's a. The retail from their site and they still offer it. They don't explicitly state that they support the latest OS, but I think it's a pretty generic
1: Yeah. I think it would work. Uh
0: driver. So um I think that's gonna be our best solution. They show it retails for $39.99, though I've seen you can get it for less, uh, or maybe for even way less. But they they still offer this product, and I think it's a it it's the least expensive way to do what you want to do here.
1: Yeah, I mean you can get like um and, and, and you might be able to get that for, for quite a bit less, the iMic now, but, but there's, you can, if you look around, you can find, like, I I quickly found the Audio-Technica ATR2 USB for like 15 bucks. Um, if oh, you, okay. yeah, but, but I mean, you know, you're going to be in that certainly sub $50 and probably even sub $20 range to do this, as long as you're not, that you're fine with sort of average quality components which is what you would have had in your Mac, right? The, Apple didn't put great DACs in there uh, or uh, digital audio or ADC, digital analog or ADCs, right? So, um, because it would be coming input. But uh, they, yeah, they will work fine. Why you might want the audio output, John, is for two reasons. Number one, some of these devices will offer you what they call zero latency monitoring. I don't think the iMic does, but it might. I have, it's been a long time since I've used one. If you want to hear yourself uh, through headphones, that gets tricky. If there's a computer in between the audio input and the audio output, doing some processing, there might be a delay. It depends on a lot of things, how many effects you're using, what, how you're processing it, all of that stuff. So, by having a headphone out, it can allow you to monitor if they, if they essentially offer a short circuit, um, an intentional short circuit between the two. So that's one reason you might want an audio out. The other is that no matter how good the DAC is inside your computer, it's still being run um, inside your computer and is subject oftentimes, if it's not isolated, right? Uh, it's subject to noise from the computer. So having an outboard DAC can save you uh you know some of that noise now again the quality the components that we're talking about here in these things that are in the you know 20 to 40 range might not matter uh there's other decks that we've talked about on other shows that that you know for real audio quality but um but these are going to suffice they're going to be most likely they're going to be at least as good as what you have or would have gotten inside your mac so yeah i think these things are fine yeah right i mean.
0: What I'm doing now, no, I'm not actually sure, but, uh, you know, so I have a 2014 Mac Mini. I'm actually not sure if this still has audio in and audio out like my uh, prior Mac Mini. I mean, one thing I was going to toss out, but it, it's uh, not a very economical solution, though maybe a very capable solution, but the board that I'm using right now, Dave, um, yeah. you know, the Yamaha AGO 6 uh, that'd be an option as well, though I think it's overkill for for this purpose. Sure. It would certainly do that. Yeah. You know, it converts analog audio from various sources to USB.
1: Right. It's all, it also happens to be a mixer, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I see Sam here in our, um, in our chat room uh, suggests that uh, there's not only USB, but you, uh, there are also FireWire and Thunderbolt uh, solutions that also can do the analog to digital yeah. conversion.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, this is right. We've had this conversation just not sort of at the at the low end level like this before. But um USB is awful for audio. It's going to be fine for what you're talking about doing, but when you've got a lot of data flowing in both directions, USB is is um It is not synchronous the right way. And so it it gets very, very, yeah. yeah, It's I think what you're saying- It's not isochronous is 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 what it is. Firewire can be, or or Firewire is and Thunderbolt can be, but USB cannot be isochronous. So that's where it gets Well, USB
0: relies on the capabilities of the computer to drive the conversation, right? Whereas I think Firewire and Thunderbolt, less so. Yes. Right, right, right. So so USB is is certainly well as the name implies USB universal serial bus. I mean you're <laughs> you're almost certainly
1: going to have a USB port
0: on on your hardware there. So um
1: for single channel or even you know left right stereo uh, dual channel audio USB is going to be mostly be fine it, and and yeah. certainly sufficient. So the for
0: for converting satellite radio to something that you want to record on your Mac? I I would say the iMic or similar device yeah. would
1: is going to be for you. Yeah. It's probably going to be fine. Yeah. Very very cool. All right, I want to talk about our first sponsor today, John, and that is Otherworld Computing MacSales.com. I honestly, I, it it's it's fair to say that I. Don't know what I would do without these guys. I mean, I I guess I'd I'd have to like look elsewhere, but man, this is the first place I go when I need something to add to my computer. If it's a you know a Thunderbolt, you were just talking about Thunderbolt, I don't or fire and Firewire, I don't have Firewire on my Macs anymore, but I have a lot of Firewire peripherals. Well, what do I do? I get a Thunderbolt to Firewire doc. Works great. Otherworld computing has the best one that I've tested and, and I've tested quite a few. Uh, and I'm happy to say that, that theirs is outstanding. If you need Ram, they're the place to go. Check it out. If you need an SSD, they have SSDs for every model of Mac that can possibly take them. And I'll tell you, these folks, not only are they happy, of course, to sell you, uh, any of the stuff that we've mentioned, including the SSDs, but they take the time to figure out exactly what the right type of SSD and RAM and everything else will work with your specific machine. They are Mac fans. Yeah, they call themselves Otherworld Computing, but their URL, MacSales.com. They are Mac fans. They are diehards like us. They know this stuff and they spend the time to figure out exactly what you need and what you don't need. They're not going to sell you overkill, you know, on a machine that can't benefit from it. So they're really going to work hard to make sure that not only do you get what you want, that you're only getting what you need and you're not spending extra money uh, in doing that. They're good people there. They understand their products and I just can't speak highly enough of their customer support and their attention to detail. They've got installation videos. It's Awesome. You got to check it out. Go to MacSales.com. And uh, and when you check out, tell them that uh, MacGeekGab sent you it. I'm sure they will appreciate that. Thanks to Otherworld Computing and all the great folks at MacSales.com for sponsoring this episode. Other great people uh, are the folks at Barebone Software. I honestly don't know. Which company's been around longer, Bare Bones or Otherworld Computing? I mean, these are two Mac diehard companies and Bare Bones Software writes some of the best software I've ever used. BB Edit, their text editor, is my absolute favorite text editor. And I know it's weird to talk about having a favorite text editor or even to get excited about a text editor, but when you do stuff with text every day interface and experience absolutely matters and i'd say i mean user interface and user experience absolutely matters baby edit has you know when when it's a product that's been in development for what two plus decades that is going to yield some good answers about design decisions and they really have got it down to a science it doesn't matter what kind of text you're messing with BB Edit will take care of it you can be a crazy You know, super high level programmer, BB edit will handle all the stuff that you're doing. You can just be uh, someone who's never touched a piece of code, but needs to do some things with text, like just compare two documents. Uh, It does perfect comparisons of documents and will show you line by line and character by character differences in those documents. You can even copy changes from one back and forth to the other. Very, very cool stuff. They know what they're doing. And here's something cool. If you're someone who's dabbling in the terminal, but not overly confident editing things in those weird text editors from the terminal, like VI or Pico or even Emacs, you don't have to if you have BB Edit, because instead of typing VI space filename.txt, you can type BBEdit space filename.txt and it will open that inside BB Edit for you to edit there with your mouse, with your cursor. You don't have to think about editing in the terminal because you're not. You're editing in BB Edit. And then it, when you save it, you're back at the terminal and everything is just as you expected it to be. Check it out, barebones.com. You can download a free trial. Our sincere thanks to the folks at Barebones Software for sponsoring this episode.
0: All right, John, Dave. I got to give you a tip. Go ahead. Because you you posed the question, which right. company yeah. was first? Oh yeah, and this is kind of creeping me out. Uh, so it's both. Uh, <laughs> so I actually did a Google search, and I typed in Barebone Software, founding, and Otherworld Computing founding. Uh, according to Google, OWC was founded in 1988. Okay, Barebone Software was founded in 1994
1: oh okay well there you go but again it kind of creeps
0: me out that it was uh, i I, you know i just said well this is kind of what i want you to find out can you show me and it actually showed me yeah as a little box saying barebone software was founded on this date and i uh i'm I'm kind of surprised i mean 94 seems barebone software really but hey yeah that makes sense And, and owc 88 i mean dude i was like I was like in college
1: then. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. I was still in high school.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So they have literally, and, and it's, a, it even shows here in the Google box. I got uh, hats off to these guys. I mean, it says founder, Larry O'Connor. Yeah. yeah. Founded in 88. It gives their uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Oh
1: gosh, this is. Cool. Yeah. Very, Google very is, cool. is good. <laughs> yeah. Google, right. It's Google. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, we have a, a good question here, John, and I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on this, too. I have lots of thoughts on Great. this, but I'll let you lead. OK, so Bill asks, he says, I have always hidden my primary Wi-Fi network on the assumption that it's more secure for most people to not know if its existence, if it's not broadcasting its SSID, people don't know it's there It, it looking casually in that he in his eyes makes it more secure. He said, I know there are still devices that pick it up. And in fact, when my father visited his Windows 10 laptop showed a hidden network, albeit without a name, he said he'd never seen it do that before Windows 10. Apple devices still don't seem to show that recently when connecting to this network in iOS 10 and Mac OS Sierra. Apple now displays a security warning about using a hidden network and links to The page, the article briefly mentions hidden networks, but only references such a network potentially being more difficult for devices to find it. It doesn't, it says it doesn't secure the network, but doesn't explain why. What are the real pros and cons of using a hidden network? All right. I want to read what Apple's website says about this. It's a knowledge base article that we can, of course, link to. But uh, in the hidden network section, it says hidden networks don't broadcast their SSID over Wi-Fi. This option might be incorrectly referred to as a closed network, and the corresponding non hidden state might be referred to as a broadcast or open network. Because hidden networks don't broadcast their SSID, devices might need more time to find them and connect to them, and connecting to them automatically might not always succeed. Hiding a network doesn't secure your Wi Fi network because the SSID is still available in other ways. So, To me, this doesn't mean that it's less secure, except maybe someone could pose a I don't want to call it a man in the middle attack. But if somebody knew the name of your SSID and they broadcast a network with that name, they might be able to get your clients on it. But it would have to have the same security and same password. So I, I, I don't I don't really see a security risk there, but maybe I'm missing something, John. Here's my opinion. And I used to do this,
0: but now I don't anymore. So the thing is, a lot of computers have uh, and handheld devices um, that do Wi-Fi have a feature where you say, "Show me all of the networks that are around me." Right. Uh, as pointed out, Windows will say, "Well, I know there's a network nearby that's hidden," but uh, at least on the Mac and iOS, if if uh, a Wi-Fi is hidden, it's not going to show up in the list of things you can attack. So it's, from a security standpoint, as to if you can't be seen by most devices, it's more secure, I would agree that hiding is better. Okay?
1: Yeah, see, I'm with you. you. See what
0: I'm saying? I do, yep. Is that if, if I'm just cruising a neighborhood, and you know I got my regular machine without any cool uh, Wi-Fi hacking tools... And I say, show me a list of all the things that, that are here. It's not going to show up. That To me, that is more secure in a sense.
1: Um, well, it's, yeah, it's security by obscurity, right? Yes. And, and it, yes. people aren't going to happen across it. If someone's looking for hidden networks or running Windows 10, as it turns out, uh, they will know that one exists. And then if predisposed, they might, uh, you know, head down the path of trying to figure that out
0: yes so uh, so my it's kind of like uh all right you know if there's a bunch of houses and the door is locked versus the door is open all right if the door is locked i'm probably going to skip that one and uh go to one where the door is open right maybe that's not the best analogy but you get what i'm saying so um uh, the only problem i would see is as i think was pointed out here is that for some devices, it may take them longer or it may create issues for them when you want to connect to a hidden network. And then it may take them longer or they may have difficulty finding a network that is hidden. Yep. So to me, that's the only downside of enabling that. And, I, and I, the other so thing I see in the... Oh, go ahead. The other thing I see in the article, and this is something I used to do, and again, I gave up on this as well. So, so another way you can restrict who comes into your Wi-Fi access point is by the MAC address which is the hardware address of the Wi-Fi interface on the device trying to connect. And you can set up, and I used to go through the painstaking process of doing this, and then eventually I said, you know what? This just isn't worth my time. Yeah. Because I get so many toys, and I get so many things, and it's just like keeping track of this stuff, and and that's another thing. So so the thing is, you can set up a Wi-Fi access point to say, look, if you're not on the list of the cool kids that uh, I know the Mac address of your Wi-Fi interface, I'm not going to let you in. right. I used to do this, but I don't anymore because to me, the effort involved and the problems that it causes um, to me, humbly is not worth it. So right. if, if you'd like to do it and the article says as much, it, yeah. it says, yeah, if you want
1: to do this and you want to waste your time doing this. Well, and you, you can spoof Mac addresses. I mean, you can do it with a command yes. line that's built a command line utility. I believe that's built into OS 10, right? I mean, I think oh, yeah. I have, you, config you can let you do it.
0: Right. There are tools that'll let you either beat the SSID out of a device if you, if you have the right tool, or you can see the MAC address if, if you monitor traffic long enough. Um, yeah. So, so they'll slow people down, but a, a determined attacker. The best advice that I have is for anybody who's running Wi-Fi is, you know, unless you're running public Wi-Fi, and that's a whole other story, but if you're running your own Wi-Fi, for goodness sake, enable encryption, uh, WPA or better, not WEP, and and I, I shake my fist at anybody who even offers it as an option because WEP is is useless. Oh in my yeah. Opinion. Well, and um, and you
1: can't do that with AC or or eight hundred two dot eleven n. Right. At least they you won't they get just those speeds. Yeah. Yeah. so The thing is,
0: enable WPA two or whatever with a good, solid password uh, is the best thing that you can do to secure your Wi Fi network. And so here here's opinion. the
1: thing. I I actually use hidden networks for the purpose of hiding hmm. them. Okay. From general users. No, I have my main network here in the house. And that one is broadcast, right? And it's the same SSID from all my devices. And, and you know, I'm using, actually right now I'm using the Netgear Orbi. We'll talk about that in the next show. I, I'll get deeper into it. Um, but, you know, always have that uh, exposed and available. And that's what people in the house use. But because I occasionally, in fact, often, have access points, multiple access points, sometimes I want to have those. I want to be able to connect specifically to a certain access point or to a certain band. Like I want to connect this device to 2.4, or I want to connect this device to five gigahertz. So because I use router firmware that in in general, uh, that lets me have multiple SSIDs, virtual SSIDs, if you will, on the same, radio i i have like my network in the house i call it dave the nerd right and then i have a hidden network called dave the nerd dash five which is a five giga the the, only the five gigahertz band on all my devices and at least any device that supports multiple ssids but that one i keep hidden so that people don't see it they're not tempted to connect to it it's just connect to the other one it's going to work fine for you don't worry about it and then here's these other ones for whatever I'm testing at the moment uh, so that I can get to what I want to get to. And so I use them to hide them from general users, not to hide them from hackers. Um, because I know people would, would find it if they truly wanted to. So that, right, yeah, that, I, that's the only reason I would hide them. The one thing I would suggest is if you do have, and, and
0: most every modern Wi-Fi access point supports this feature... Is that if you do want to isolate guests, um well, I kind of gave it away, there's something called a guest network, which is a network that you can make available so people can get on your Wi-Fi, but they're isolated from your network at large. So um, you know, if you have people, you know, that are visiting that are untrustworthy. Like I was considering, but then I'm like, nah, you know. Like when you visited last, Dave, I'm like, should I set up a guest network? And I'm like, no, I I trust Dave. He's he's you know, <laughs> he's not going to stay friend. up all night trying to hack into my stuff. That's right. Yeah, I t- I, I trust Dave isn't going to be hacking my stuff. So I'm like, nah, I don't need to set up a guest network. But if I had somebody who's uh, you we know, proved that we could guess
1: each other's passwords. Um, right, so I think we're kind of done with the the guest network thing. So yeah,
0: but if you if you had somebody in your household that you didn't entirely trust, then maybe setting up
1: a guest Wi-Fi. No, it's network. not a bad idea when when you've got like kids, friends, or you know people just coming over all the time or whatever. It's not a bad idea to have a guest network uh, for sure. And that's
0: something I got on the TP link. And I believe uh, they yeah, the, have uh, the, the Apple, yeah. I, I think almost every uh, people that make a modern Wi Fi. I, I think, think it's point, fair to some... say
1: even Apple does it. And Apple doesn't do crap on their routers. I'm really right. angry with Apple. I, I do. I think they should not sell a, a router. Um, <laughs> no, no, because they, they don't put any thought in. Uh, maybe they put thought into it, but they don't put the right technology in it. They have, Uh, Like the Airport Extreme, the current gen Airport Extreme, great radios, fast CPU. I don't know how much RAM the thing has, but it's probably got enough. And it has no quality of service uh, in it, meaning nothing to manage your bandwidth in a way that keeps you at a point where you've always got, you know, free bandwidth for for your devices. If you if and, and also Apple's the worst offender with their devices, because, you know, you get home. And suddenly, if the family gets home, four phones instantly start uploading photos when they get on the Wi-Fi network, right? And totally soaks the upstream of, of your uh, connection. And Apple's own router will just let that happen and it slows everything else down and it's awful. Whereas a router that has some even like just moderate QoS on it will see that and and sort of shape the traffic to allow other things in and out. So, yeah, I just don't think Apple, they're not in the, they shouldn't be in the router business. It's not a priority for them. They offer it. And that's the problem is people buy it because they say, well, I like my iPhone. I like my MacBook. So I'm going to get an Apple router. And it's great because it does just work when you set it up, except it doesn't work all that well. And with the speed of network connections now, you can, can afford to, and should sacrifice a little bit of your network speed of your, of your internet speed to QoS to have just nice, smooth connection all the time. And Apple just doesn't do it. So they should just get out of the, the router business. It would it would please me to no end if they just d- focus on other things. They do great work with these other things. Let other people get the routers. I don't like having to hear from you folks that bought Apple routers and say, how come, you know, it's slow when I'm doing X, Y, and Z, or I don't know why it's slow. And it's exactly that. So I don't know, you know. There you go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say maybe for your average user.
1: I mean, the thing is, they're easy to set up. And no, they offer, no, your average user needs QoS these days and okay. should have it because there's constantly data being like blasted in in All right. both directions. I'm with you then because I, I would say the out of box setup experience
0: for the airport with Apple equipment is still pretty.
1: Oh no, the, the, the setup is great. But you know, when, when I also set up something like Eero and like Eero doesn't even ask you if you want to do QoS, it doesn't even explain what it is. It's a very Apple like experience when you set it up. But what it does is once a day that Eero router does a speed test of your connection and it knows when your network is most likely to be least used. So it uses that time of day to do a speed test and, uh, and, and that way it knows every day if your speeds change because your provider might've changed your speeds or you might've called up to get faster speeds. Who knows, right? They don't, they have no idea. So they test it every day. And then I don't know if they set it to 95% of your speed or whatever, but they do whatever they have to do to get it so that you've got nice, smooth QoS just managing your network traffic all the time. It, there's n- absolutely no excuse for Apple not to be doing that.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. You know? So. Yeah. And their, uh, you know, I mean, the TP link I got here, dude. Yeah. I mean, I think it was like a hundred bucks. Um, Apple's latest offering, I think, what, what are they, 250 now or something? Yeah. Yeah. For, for their basic Wi-Fi. Yeah, they charge so, a lot um, of money for those things.
1: They should give you some features.
0: I mean, you can get a refurb for a little less. I, I haven't checked the refurb store, but still, it's a, yeah, I mean, I abandoned them, you know, especially as a geek like you because the the feature set um for what I think I need to do yeah. um isn't quite there. But again, I would say for your average No, you know.
1: I, I I will not let you no, say I'm that sorry? without disagreeing. Okay, I, you can you can we can I disagree. Agree your, I agree with your disagreement. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I just you know, I just average users need this stuff because because of what Apple devices do. You know, once right, they're on Wi Fi. Or
0: if they're implementing certain
1: technologies or applications yeah including that? like <laughs> photo stream or or iCloud photo library right you know yeah anyway it's fine but we we know better here we're happy to help each other out it's all good and that's why i get a little agitated because i just want to make sure people are listening you know you can shake a fist oh i think i shook Go my fist it. oh i'm pretty sure i shook my did you fist. shake both of them no, i think i was shaking both of them john Hell <laughs> oh, yeah yeah I shook both fists that's a double fish shake right there Outstanding. Yep. Uh, and I it sounds like perhaps it might even be a triple fish shake I might have one of your it's like a tool I half have never even heard of such a thing that that's crazy talk okay all right well then then we're not even going there <laughs> uh, if you want to take us to Zach Zach was an interesting yeah. yeah and then we've got and then we've got some stuff about Sierra that I really want to get to but uh, good good yeah okay all right so Zach has a good question
0: Although it's not a Mac-specific question, we'll still entertain it. Or at least I did, Dave. So Zach says, I've come up on a problem and I hope you can help me fix it. I'm asking you to is I don't listen to any Windows podcasts. And he says, are there any Windows podcasts? Yes, there are. Oh, yeah. But I don't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so much a Windows problem. It is a possible internet scam on a Windows machine. I help a few older ladies with their tech issues. I got a call from one of the ladies saying that they were about ready to log onto their banking website, and a box popped up over the window. Around this box was the word Windows all over the rest of the screen. In the box, it was asking for her login and password and a note saying, do not attempt to restart your computer. There was also a phone number to call. Oh boy. Also, there was an alarm sound. (laughs) The thing is, I'm laughing because I've
1: I've seen this. We've all seen it. There yeah. was
0: also an alarm sound with this pop up. She called the number and found herself talking to someone who barely spoke any English. I bet his name was Jimmy. Yeah, these guys always yeah. anyways, sorry. Um though a lot of them seem to be from India. Uh I'm I'm Oh yeah. Anyways, no, moving no. on. Yeah, the
1: scam. Yeah, the scammers. Oh, they just a lot had the, uh, the, the actually.
0: They You're just right. had the Windows call center IRS scam. They just busted a whole bunch of people in India who were doing the exact same thing. And I think were some of the ones where I was getting these voicemails saying the IRS was going to arrest there me. There is or, a point
1: to this, here, folks. There is a, a specific piece yeah. of advice that Mister. Braun <laughs> will eventually <laughs> offer. No, and it's good go. for all of us to use. Yeah. All right. So, um, and at that point, uh,
0: his uh, uh, client, I believe, uh, quickly hung up the phone. Uh she forced her computer to turn off by using the power button and called her bank to ask what she should do. They gave her a number to call for help at Microsoft. All Microsoft tried to do is sell her a hundred and fifty dollars piece of software. Oh well, shame on them. So first, why and how did this happen? It seems like this is a growing problem on both Mac OS and Windows. Could you explain what's happening so I can better explain to her? Also, do you have any recommendations for antivirus software? Pop-up blockers or malware software to protect your computer. Um, and yes. So, Zach, I have, as I said, I've run across this as well as I think you have, Dave. Of course. And then it says you're infected. Please call this number. You got a virus, blah, blah, blah. Based on my analysis and, and you being uh, heading uh, a place, uh, a group that does ads, BackBeat Media, Dave, I think you you may know more about this, but I think at least my basic investigation of this is that What happens is you get these uh, miscreants. Uh, Is is that a good? I think that's good. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Or or, uh, shysters. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Whatever. Shysters sounds correct. And I think basically, I think the vector that they use to try to get these things to come up is they somehow trick one or more of these ad networks into displaying their uh, fake alerts and stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably more prone to come across these on, on sites that have less ethics, perhaps, uh, uh, how should I say, maybe adult entertainment sites and all that. You, you may see these more often. Um, sure. Or just uh, uh, sites that aren't mainstream, sites that are, are more willing to accept ads from people that are, are kind of shady because, hey, ads equal money, right? right. So um, th- based on what I've seen, when when these come up, not saying that I surf shady sites. Um, I only surf reputable sites like Mac Observer and Mac Ink App. But But um, I think what these guys do is they, they typically try to trick these ad networks into displaying their content. So I would say is just one general piece of advice, and it doesn't matter Windows, iOS, or whatever, is do not fall for anything. If you're in a browser and all of a sudden you get an alert saying, there's something wrong with your computer, you got a virus, you got this or that, it's 99.99%. Out of a hundred times, bogus. Now, sometimes they'll they'll try to craft their dialogue or the the whatever comes up to be either very scary, like this one that says "alert, alert," you know, you're you're, you're going to get busted. The IRS is going to come to get you, or you have a virus, or call Microsoft or Apple or whatever. And here's a phone number. Um, and they they craft it to to look authentic. Um, here's a few pieces of advice I have. So one. Again, if, if you're browsing and all of a sudden you get an alert that something's wrong with your computer and to call this number, ignore it because it's bogus. Number two, if you do get a phone number, I, I found this, Dave, uh, especially for calls that I get on my, my phone where I get a, a call from a number that's not in my contacts, which is, is the first thing that indicates to me that it's probably a call I don't want, is... Google, as we've already found, is scary smart. And if you type in a phone number, there are these databases um, or, or these sites that will catalog these bogus numbers. Look up the number. You're probably not the first person that has fallen uh, victim to these scam artists. So type in the telephone number first and see if it comes up in, in a database of people that are being um, bad. Um, that's work for me. Um Here's another one that I found that's very nice, Dave. And I've been using this for quite a while here. So there's a, a crowdsource tool here. It's called WOT, Web of
1: Trust. It's a browser add-on that will alert you. This is, this <laughs> is the part, folks. This is this is what I talked about before. So Web this of Trust. This is the useful part. <laughs> this is the useful part. No, it's all
0: useful. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> but there there is an add-on for many browsers called Web of Trust. And it's basically a crowdsourced database of what people, a web of people, if you will, feel about a certain site, whether it's trustworthy. And um, so it's a browser add-on. It works with Safari, Firefox, I think pretty much any major browser. Yep. And it shows two things. So it shows trust, the trustworthiness and child safety. And if you like to, if you go to a site and you want to chime in, uh, so on, it lets you read it. And, and if too many people have complained about a certain site, um, it'll alert you and say, hey, you know, a lot of people are really kind of not sure about this site. Are you really sure you want to go to this? and i've had this happen and a lot of times i'll say no um whether it's for a piece of questionable software i'm not going to name any names here dave sure <laughs> or uh, news sites uh you know some people like to get news from non-traditional sources and some of them are honestly uh not trustworthy or biased very biased um and it'll give you these two ratings and you can also chime in with your own rating if if you get an account with them so that's one tool i i will suggest that you uh yeah. that you check out um, Another, I, I didn't mention that's in the response, but I'll mention it right now, is uh, Malwarebytes is, is a swell group that makes a piece of software, uh, both free and enterprise, uh, various versions uh, for individual use. I believe it's, it's still free. Um, and it'll scan your computer and make sure you have not been infected with malware or adware. That's another good one. And the last one, Dave, I like... Um, uh, it, it 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 varies by platform but it's uh called clam antivirus uh and it's kind of an open source uh i think the native platform is unix but people have taken their source and adapted it for uh mac and windows and all sorts of platforms so um that's a place to start for antivirus that that will help you determine if uh somebody's trying to do bad things to your computer cool so th- so that's what i got to say about that Did, do you have anything to
1: no, i i like i like web of trust. It's a it's a good thing. Um, they keep going back and forth on on us at Backbeat Media because we don't do anything shady, but we do serve ads. So it depends on how many people hate ads and vote, you know, that it's bad, and then people say no, it's it's just ads. It's not awful ads, and then it comes back up. So it keeps going back and forth. Really? Trust.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, but that's just right, normal. Uh, I mean, right, I get so, it. So, all right, so w o t? Uh, all right, so people have chimed in. Uh, saying that I don't like Backbeat Media because you give me ads. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Hey, if you don't like ads, then uh, they're reporting that. But yeah, yeah, you know. But then they have other categories again, you right? Know, uh, uh, scam, uh, right. unethical, right? Uh, you know, non-child-safe. And uh, you know, if too many people chime in, then it, it's it'll block it. I mean, it, it oh, basically yeah. comes up and blocks it. Sometimes it'll advise you with a little you know graphic saying. Right. Eh. Like I've seen that too, like especially when I'm in Facebook, some sites will come up and it'll show, uh, you know, so, so it'll integrate with your browser and it'll show a little green ring, a little orange ring, or a little red ring next to any website, kind of giving you a heads up, hey, yeah. you may not want to go here because yeah, exactly. uh, a lot of people aren't
1: happy with it. So That's right. Cool. All right. All right. Um, I promised a couple of things. Uh, Andrew, a couple of things about Sierra. Andrew writes, he says, I have a few observations and questions. And so this starts with iOS 10 and ends with Sierra. Um, He says, is it just me or has iOS notifications taken a step back? I can no longer manually order the notifications as previously allowed to do. Yeah, no, that's correct. That's, that's kind of how that works now. Um, Not enough people, I guess, used it by app. And so now that's just gone in iOS 10. So, and it's unfortunate for people who liked it by app. I, I never, I had it by app for a while and drove me crazy, but, uh, but obviously we're all different and it's, uh, it is a preference that's gone. And now, uh, with macOS, I recently discovered I had an other dot, dot, dot account on my login screen. I checked users in groups, preference pane and guest account is not enabled nor any of its permissions. How did this other account get created? How can I find out which application may have created it? And how do I get rid of it? So the thing about the other account is that it, the other item, I should say, is that it's not an account. It allows you to type in your username and password or a username and password is probably a better way to say it. And that can happen if there's another account on your Mac, uh, you may have installed a piece of software, which added an account that triggered the OS to offer you this other dot, dot, dot option. But, um, but it's not an account. I mean, I guess you could create an account called other dot, dot, dot. And that would be interesting, but, um, cause you might get someone to type in, um, uh, their password and then you could come in and try and hack that. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's not an account. It's just your Mac offering to say, Hey, look, here's the main user accounts on this Mac. If there's something else that you wanted to log into hit other, and we will go ahead and offer a username dialogue as well as the password dialogue. So you can type both. That's all that is. Do You have any thoughts on that, John, or is, is that, was is that right? Uh, as far as I know. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Cool. All right. Um, Universal clipboard has been something that's been getting a lot of attention from us in trying to get it to be sorted out. Peter writes, I was very excited to see universal clipboard feature added to iOS devices running iOS 10 and Macs running Sierra, all working fine between my iPhone and iPod, but my Mac would not join the group. I discovered that enabling back to my Mac in the iCloud system preferences was the solution. So this is an interesting thing. Um. I've gone back and forth on this. I definitely don't have Back to My Mac enabled on any of my Macs, and that's because I run an IPsec VPN server here. And if you enable Back to My Mac, it will hijack that. Um, it will hijack the port forwarding from your router because it uses port 500 on UDP, presumably for the same IPsec L2TP type of of connection that it's going to set up. So I definitely don't have Back to My Mac enabled. Jeff Gamet. and I mm-hmm. did some isolation testing. And we found that Bluetooth is the thing that needs to be enabled. You do not need to be on a Wi-Fi network. In fact, Wi-Fi doesn't even need to be on on your Mac. You can have an Ethernet-connected Mac. Totally fine. You just don't. It. But Bluetooth was the thing for us that uh, that worked. But Peter's not alone. There are a lot of people out there saying that enabling back to my Mac, whatever that does solve their universal clipboard problems what i'd be curious about is does enabling it and then disabling it leave and when i say it i mean enabling and disabling back to my mac does that leave universal clipboard enabled i think it might i i wonder if it's changing some setting in your mac as part of kind of repaving those those uh preferences and then even turning it off would work because i know universal clipboard works without back to my mac So it's an interesting little solution.
0: Because I'm looking right now, and actually, Dave, uh, uh, and so for those that don't know, Back to My Mac, I think, was mainly a feature where if you're remote, you can access your Mac that's on your home network.
1: That's correct. And And it's enabled in, uh, where is that enabled?
0: It's in iCloud. Oh, that's right. iCloud. So you go to System Preferences iCloud. Back to My Mac is one of the options. I actually have it disabled. I think I used it at one point when I traveled a lot and, and wanted to get to my Mac and uh and it makes it easier. I think it runs something called Raccoon and then a few other programs mm. that make it a lot easier for you uh if you're distant to uh get on your home network and interact with your computer. Though I haven't found it necessary because other things do that for me. Mostly my Synology. Um but yeah, I saw that too. I think as you mentioned, I, I you know, run hardware growler and I was like, hey, let me check out this new feature. And all of a sudden, as soon as I enabled it or I did a copy on my iPhone, all of a sudden my Mac said, hey, I want to talk to the iPhone on Bluetooth. I'm like, ah, that's
1: how you're doing that. Okay. It's good yeah. stuff. That's true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Oh, very cool. Cool. All right. Uh, moving on to Joe. Joe writes... Uh, whoop, wrong Joe. I've got a couple of Joe's in the agenda today it says up until recently, I was able to click on the share icon in preview and send a PDF document directly from there. Recently, only messages and notes have been showing up in that list. No email availability. I haven't done any upgrades other than the usual. Every so often security updates to Mac OS, and I'm still on El Capitan. Any ideas, what happened and how to correct it? I did some checking and one response somewhere talked about the extensions panel in system preferences. When I opened that and click on share menu, it only showed dark check marks with reminders and notes and a grade check mark with messages, no email at all. In a previous version, you could share using a menu item under file. I wonder why they took that out. Um, I did some digging on this one, Joe. And one of the things that Apple recommends is resetting launch services, which is um the the launch services and that runs all the time. And it's the process. If you're looking on iOS and you see a process called LSD, that's what it is. It's not anything funny. Your your iPhone, your iPhone isn't having a, a won't we'll make you see things. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's actually worth a shot. Uh and and I'll I'll put a link to the Apple knowledge base which talks about resetting launch services. There's a a terminal command that they've put in there that you can uh that you can type. But in a scenario like this, I would actually go ahead and run Onyx and have it totally reset the Launch Services database as well as all the other caches that are out there on their system. Onyx has a Sierra version. I know you're on El Capitan, but for the the general listener base here, Onyx now has a Sierra version, and uh, and there's no reason not to use it. I've, I I tested it uh, as I was prepping for the show this week, and it it uh, it did well. It did great things in that my Mac worked great after it rebooted from from Onyx. So there you go. Any thoughts on this one, John, or just Yeah, I just uh I just downloaded it as well. Um I'm not sure uh
0: what's quite different. But yeah, somebody reminded or no, I was I was uh researching an issue. Yeah. And I double clicked on Onyx, and it's like, um, "Yeah, dude, um, yeah, I'm not gonna run." Because, I'm not gonna uh, run. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm well, the old version. Yeah, get the new one. It, yeah, the Onyx is a, so Onyx is a utility that lets you get into every nook and cranny within OS 10, but it's very specific to the version of OS 10 you're running. And uh, fortunately, they warn you if you try to run the wrong version because you could totally destroy everything. And I'm not getting here. <laughs> So they prevent that. The only thing I'm thinking of, Dave, is that um, I don't know if you mentioned it again. I was I was fiddling with something. Uh, uh, my pardon here, but uh, system preferences, extensions, share menu.
1: Well, that's that's what he talked about in his question. Yeah, I see. Okay, I'm
0: sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, no. I was I was looking where to find that because it's it's kind of non obvious where that lives. Yeah, and mail um, should be there. I mean, it it, it it actually looks to be a default choice, right? Right. And I see it's grayed out, and that I can't uncheck it right, and that I see mail messages and airdrop are kind of like default choices, and then there's a bunch of other programs, and some of them are I see unchecked here actually, I see uh yeah two that I think are like Japanese extensions. I see Evernote in crypto and so yeah again some Asian things here, but evernote and in crypto are not checked on this one application okay. of my o s which yep. uh maybe maybe I should right. Uh, Maybe those, M- maybe yeah. If I want to, I don't know. Why, why are you saying maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> it also has add to aperture and add to photos. I uh, I mean, add to aperture. I do mean, well. I have aperture on this machine, so.
1: All right, all right. Where are we, David? uh, David? David? Okay. Yeah, David has uh, an issue. He says I have a 13 inch MacBook Pro 2013 with two cinema displays and one Thunderbolt display attached using the Monoprice VGA to display port adapters. Since upgrading to Sierra, my application windows open on random monitors. As an example, I will have mail open on monitor three, and when I compose a new message, it will open on screen two. This happens for several programs, including Finder dialogs. They just seem to randomly select a monitor with no memory or history. In Mission Control, I have the following currently checked, switching to an, and I'm actually not gonna go through it because I don't think it matters what you have in Mission Control, largely because his preferences are wholly different from mine. And I experienced similar and and additional issues with multiple monitors set up with Sierra, especially when upgrading from El Capitan. I think there's a scenario and I've heard about this from others too, where having multiple monitors and upgrading from Sierra uh, to Sierra from El Capitan creates some issue for me. I saw a few of these things where things would just appear on random windows at the wrong time or random screens at the wrong time. But also I would start my Mac and this is my iMac, my retina iMac down in the office. And the second screen would light up with the desktop pattern. So very clearly addressable by OS 10, no problem at all. And then it would go black. And it was like, what the heck? And so the first couple of times I unplugged it and plugged it back in and finally got it to just stay on. Great. When it happened, you know, the third time, like, wait, this is stupid. So I went into displays and I went into arrangement and I tweaked the arrangement. And and for those of you who haven't used multiple monitors, you get to decide how they are related digitally to each other. Um, And typically you would want to arrange them Uh, digitally so that they match how they are in 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 real life so that when you drag your mouse to the right of right edge of one screen it just naturally flows to the left edge of the screen next to it right and and so on and so on uh so you get to move these things around so i moved it and then actually moved it back so i just changed it and then changed it back inside the arrangement window inside of uh system preferences displays and since then, things have been perfect. So that's one way to solve the problem. And I think it sort of repaves at least a portion of the displays uh, preferences file. If that doesn't work, there is a P list file that you could blow away and then immediately restart your Mac. And this P list is in library, not home library, but all the way up to the top level of your hard drive library preferences com.apple.windowserver.plist that appears to be the one that contains all of these settings and uh, and maybe that if if doing the arrangement hack doesn't work for you try blowing away this file and see what you get so that's all I got on that one John and I know you oh what do you do multiple monitors I can't remember if you have them on your I got nothing Mac because I don't have multiple monitors okay.
0: well I have multiple monitors but um, not on the same computer
1: exactly it is a, I mean, look, having multiple monitors is awesome. Uh, You know, it really changes everything about, because you can have one screen where you've got like extra stuff. I keep my IM things like Slack and, and Skype and and even iMessage off on one screen. And, and when I do video chats, I can move those over there. It's really, it's good. All right.
0: My solution when my monitor was too small, I, I had a 19 inch Samsung four by three form factor is mm-hmm. I bought a new monitor and I got this Asus. Uh, but that's the thing is you could have
1: used both. And that's what I'm doing. I have my I, retina I screen and the iMac. I
0: use both as well. But to me, the solution because I was running out of screen real estate was just get a bigger monitor. Just get a bigger one. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, All I right. get the whole multi-screen thing. I yeah, it's it, cool. Especially for, uh, I know a lot of developers, it, it helps isolate your various pieces of work. Yes. You know, so I'm debugging here and I'm developing here and I'm doing this here yep. for a lot of tasks, graphic yep. designers, all sorts of people, Multi monitors help, help you separate your work.
1: Yeah, I, I totally I get it. Yep. Uh, and monitors are cheap nowadays. I mean, it's uh, so I'm still using the old like acrylic, uh, frame. It wasn't cinema display. It was pre, it was studio display. I still have one of those. That thing's older than my kids. I think, and, uh, but it still works. So I have that as my alternate display. I think it's a 21 inch. It's not 23. I don't know. Anyway, works great. It certainly doesn't owe me anything. So, uh, anyway, I think we got it in trade with Apple for some promotion. We did for WWDC a oh, hundred years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it works great. I like it. It has that weird connector, like DVI to ADC connector or whatever it is that's this monster adapter that needs its own power supply. And I don't know anyway, but it is amazing how the price of screens dropped. It, oh. So
0: this, I still have this 19 inch. I'm trying to figure what to do with it. But when I bought it, it's a Samsung 19 inch, you know, four by three again. Yeah. I think I paid 700 bucks for it back oh, in the day. Yeah. And that was a good price. Oh no, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then the Asus I have here. So, but then I got an Asus 16 by nine and uh, I think, I think I got it for like 200 bucks. <laughs> That's the thing. So it's a way better screen, and um, and it's way cheaper. Same with my TV. I, I bought one of the first Samsung uh, uh, HD TVs, yeah, probably like ten know, years ago, I and I paid seventeen hundred bucks for it, and it yeah. was it was a good price for for that.
1: And then I just got a LG recently, yeah. The which only is bigger, and it's it was three hundred bucks. The only day like, the oh price matters when you buy, especially consumer electronics, is the day you buy it. That's it. If you needed or slash wanted it that day and you were happy with the price that day, then it was a good price. Don't worry about it past that. Unless you're going to buy an Apple laptop, in which case I'd say if at all possible, just wait a week. I mean, I don't know anything uh, specific, but man, like, no, we don't coming up. No, we don't. That's the thing. Invites haven't even gone out for, maybe they're not doing an event. Maybe they're just going to roll them out on like some random Tuesday. I don't know. Could be tomorrow morning, as far as I know. But and it's what's pro- funny, Dave, probably I'm, I'm next just, Tuesday.
0: I'm just reflecting is that, so the two screens, one I gifted to my parents and the other I still have sitting here trying to think what to do, are Samsung. Mm-hmm. I'm totally still happy with Samsung for screens. Um, as some may have heard other devices, n- not so much. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. But it is. Neither of fun. my screens have burst into flames. So I'll no, give them that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think they make very nice displays.
1: Yeah. I um I my father in law had a problem with the bulbs burning out on their LED. Was it the L it couldn't have been the LED? Maybe it was the LED. Or back or was it the C F L? Back? No, no, no. I think it was L yeah it must've been led LCD. I forget, but that he swore off Samsung. He's like, I'll never buy it again. But anyway, all right. Uh, yeah. And, and to answer Paul Franz's question in the, in the chat room here, he says, do you think it'll come out before or after Apple's quarterly announcement? I think it'll be uh, a week from Tuesday, but I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, a week from, so what the 20, Let's say the 17th, right? What do I know? I, I got so Something much going like on. It's been, like I said, did I, did I say it in the show? I didn't say it in the show. Last night, I tied my personal record uh, playing f- on stage for, you know, two plus hours each night for 14 nights in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. I did two theater shows back to back. So, yeah. Yeah. So probably the 25th, I would guess, is when this comes out, which means my, uh, my wedding anniversary is a week from today. So I got to make sure that I don't forget that, but I actually, I never do. It's like, like, no, no, no. If, if not that my wife would forget, but if one of the two of us were, would, would forget, it's her. I'm, I'm far more of a romantic than, uh, than she is. That stuff. So, well, you know, whatever. It's good. it, It works, man. It's all good. It sounds like you need a vacation. You should talk to your boss about that. Uh, I don't have time for a vacation right now, but, but yes, I, I don't disagree. I'm just a little frazzled, like playing 14 nights. The last time I did, it was 20 and change years ago. Now, to be fair, this was only two different theaters. It was two different shows. So two different theaters. I only had to move my drums twice, once into the first theater and then once from there to the second. Um, the last time I did this when I was in 1995, so however old I was, it doesn't matter. Uh, was when I was on the road with a band called hypnotic clambake, we did 14 dates in 14 different cities, uh, in a you know, in a, in a, in succession. Yeah, that was a lot, man. That's like loading your gear every night. Lisa actually came to see me on the road. We were dating at the time, uh, and living together, although I wasn't with her cause I was on the road. She came to see me and she gave me a hug and she's like, whoa. You're all buff. My God, like, oh, loading gear every day, <laughs> so worked out. It's good. Yeah, you should go some get some roadies, man. Come on. Uh, yeah, I've I've experienced roadies. It's nice to have when when they when they're like when when you get people that are with you long enough that you can train them properly and they'll do all the things that you need mm-hmm. and you can just show up and trust that like oh yeah everything's exactly where I want it. That, that's killer. Otherwise, you just want to do it yourself. But uh, this isn't Gig Gab, although I will point out to all of you that I do another podcast called, actually, I do two podcasts, and I'll I'll take this opportunity to uh, pimp both of them. Gig Gab for working musicians at uh, giggabpodcast.com. We have conversations just like that one, uh, and we go even deeper. In fact, today, we did a great interview with uh, Jerry Harvey, the guy who founded Ultimate Ears. So if you're a musician, check that out. And I also do, uh, because I'm a business owner... I also do a show called uh, the Small Business Show with Shannon Jean, who started uh, Mac Rescue and also Tech Restore, and we were both partners on Deals on the Web when we did that for a long time, and that's at BusinessShow.co. So I highly recommend that if you're interested in those, uh, that you uh, you take a listen. I'd love I'd love for it. In fact, do we have time for one more, John? Um, i don't know that we do in fact i think it's probably best that that we because we we have some stuff about no no actually this is fine these are two different things we have mike uh who has a question we can't do both of the ones that we have left but they're, they're different enough that we can split them he says i have to change the email for my apple id account i found an article from apple explaining the steps The first step is to log out of iCloud on all my devices. However, it doesn't address the question my iPhone asked, which is, do I want to delete the data on my phone? I assume the answer is no. However, should I say yes on my other devices? I don't want to end up with multiple copies of each data entry after I reestablish my iCloud account with my new email address. I'm just trying to work through this. And this is a good question because you are you are going to be asked this if you go through it. And the answer is, leave it on all of your devices if you want. Uh, I've been through this a couple of times, not for the reason uh, you mentioned, but for other reasons. And when you log back into iCloud, it will ask you, do you want to, uh, I th- I think it's possible you will be given three options, but you'll at least be given two of these three. And the options are, do you want to, Take what iCloud has and replace what you have locally. Do you want to take what you have locally and replace what iCloud has? And you don't want either of those. You want option number three uh, or option number two, depending on how it's presented, which is to merge the data. And when it merges, it's actually a whole lot smarter than merging. Uh, It matches and and you typically won't wind up with any duplicates. So that's that's that. Any, Any thoughts on that, John? No, I've been afraid of that dialogue as well. Yeah. Oh no, it's a fearful dialogue. You should have a backup before you do any of this, by the way. And that way Absolute. it reduces the fear. Yeah.
0: See, so, yeah, at first I'm like, wait, you're gonna delete everything? Right. My phone? I mean, no, that's bad. That that sounds bad. Man. Yeah. So uh yeah,
1: make it. yeah. <laughs> make a backup. <laughs> And, you know, I I said we weren't going to do the second one, but we're going to do it anyway, because it is related and it's good. Uh, Joe says, I've been a listener for over 10 years and uh, you both helped me out a ton. So thank you, Joe. And you you rock. I appreciate it. Uh, He says, my wife has a 2015 MacBook Pro with a one terabyte SSD. 900 gigs is used and 100 gigs is free. The photos library is about 250 gigs. She has 60,000 photos and a thousand videos iCloud Photo Library is slash was active. All photos have been uploaded to iCloud. Full resolution images are also kept on the Mac because download originals to this Mac is checked. She disabled iCloud Photo Library on her Mac. Photos were, of course, retained on both iCloud and the computer. So far, so good. She then tried to re-enable iCloud Photo Library on the Mac. An error message appeared stating that photos in iCloud could not be downloaded to the Mac because there is not enough space on the Mac. She would need to enable the Optimize Mac Storage setting in order to use iCloud Photo Library again on the Mac. I don't understand what's happening. Full resolution images are already on the Mac. Enabling Optimize Mac Storage setting would presumably delete the photos on the Mac and then she would have to re-download them all again from iCloud this seems pointless and we have poor bandwidth and data caps any ideas yeah this is where one of one of those cases where Apple uh, sort of fails at at the dealing with what normal people have as opposed to what people in the San Francisco Bay area have when it comes to internet connectivity and all that stuff um Apple also doesn't calculate the space needed appropriately because, When you re-enable iCloud photo library, it will then begin to do a comparison between what's in iCloud and what you have. And it won't necessarily, in fact, most cases it won't at all re download anything or re upload anything. It will just match it. And as in the case with the previous thing with contacts and calendars and all that, it'll just say, Oh yeah, I already got it next. And it goes through this process where it just iterates through everything. Unfortunately, The space calculation happens before it does the matching. So it doesn't know that the local library you have is the same as the library that exists in iCloud because it hasn't done that comparison yet. It assumes worst case scenario that everything is different and it's going to need to download 250 gigs or whatever it is worth of photos. And if you don't have that space, it doesn't let you turn it on without checking that box you have two choices you can either free up space such that you can you have 250 gigs free it won't use it but you have to have it or you can check the box i think in i think checking the box or unchecking the box the you know um unchecking the download originals to this mac and and choosing the optimized mac storage instead i think that'll be okay I don't think it will delete things locally until it has to, and it doesn't have to. So once it gets into the process, you can move the box back or move the radio button back. But there is a risk there um, that it is going to come down and uh, and and pull things off, and then you've got to re-download them and use your bandwidth and all that. Um, John, you have any thoughts on this? I don't use it honestly. So, oh, I thought you. I thought you started. I, Sorry, I was the one that started using iCloud photo library um because it just works better and it's no, simpler. But I did throw down some
0: coin to expand my uh iCloud to uh 50 gigs
1: from the free. Right. Am I at 50? But yeah, I'm no, at, I'm I, at 200 now. I just I bit the bullet and it's it's simpler for me.
0: Yeah, I was approaching, the, you know, probably in a similar vein to this problem here. Um, you know, it kept coming up, saying, "Yeah, you don't have quite. An, I, I, I think I'm going to run out of space here. You know, you're, uh, you got five on the cheapo plan, which is the free plan, and right. uh, I'm sorry, what do I have? Yeah, so I, I upgraded the 50 gig plan, which so ninety nine cents yeah. a month, yeah, yeah, or less, as you pointed out, I. Got some good deals on some iTunes gift cards, so it's actually less than that. That's so, right. So, so yeah. yeah, so I, yeah, I, yeah. I I can drop less than a dollar a month on that storage. That's uh, a
1: Kurt in, in the uh, Kurt in the chat room says uh, based on what he's seen, I think she should find a way to offload 150 gigs to archive storage temporarily and maybe maybe what you do is move your music library if you have that much music or whatever it is something that you can just offload to an external drive or maybe you move your photos library to an external drive and then you know sync it that way and then move it back if you want Uh, that would work so that's what we got john and now we really are finished you know i always think when we started this show it was 45 minutes that was our goal and then suddenly, somehow—not suddenly—over time, it gradually, we extended it to now double that. Let us know what you think. Would you prefer a forty-five-minute Mac Geek Gab or do you like the hour and a half? Let us know. What you can email minutes, us like Mac Geek Ab Mini. Oh, now that's different, John. Now you're now you're Mini. talking about a whole different thing. I'm not opposed to this. I'm just saying, yeah, oh, like Mini. quick tips, like really
0: quick tips, like we just blurt them out with no conversation.
1: Huh. Now. Would we be capable of doing that? No. Let us know what you think. I'd love to hear <laughs> from you folks. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you can find us, and we would love to hear from you. Or let us know what you think. And and I believe Dave said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I did say feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Also, premium at MacGeekGab.com if you are a premium supporter. And, uh, and we did have quite a few i believe six premium supporters in this maybe seven in this episode oh six uh joe with his share menu icons that disappeared peter who uh was having trouble enabling universal clipboard or helped us andrew with his other dot 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 account bill with his hidden wi-fi networks george with the origins of kluge so that's like a double contribution right there and wesson with the uh, tip about uh, clean my Mac, that all premium listeners, we really, really appreciate all of you—not uh, just those of you that contributed to the show, although we certainly appreciate that—and we ap- appreciate everybody who contributes to the show. If you want to learn more about MacGeekCab Premium, go to mackeeper.com, and uh, and you can find all about it there. If you want to find us on Facebook, we have a great Facebook group at macgeekup.com slash Facebook that will redirect you there. And I want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And of course, our sponsors, Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com, as we mentioned in the show, as well as Barebones Software at barebones.com, Gazelle at gazelle.com. Fatcat Cat Software at FatCatSoftware.com slash M-G-G. Smile at SmileSoftware.com. And Casper. Casper.com slash M-G-G with coupon code M-G-G saves you 50 bucks. John, you got us into this mess today. You get us out. Dave,
0: you know, the only way I think I can get us out of this is to give you one piece of advice, and that's don't get yeah! may